Hi, this is Mac of MaxList. Find Your Dream Job is presented by MaxList, an online community where you can find free resources for your job search, plus online courses and books that help you advance your career. My latest book is called Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. It's a reference guide for your career that covers all aspects of the job search, including expert advice in every chapter. You can get the first chapter for free by visiting maxlist.org slash anywhere. This is Find Your Dream Job, the podcast that helps you get hired, have the career you want, and make a difference in life. I'm Mac Pritchard, your host and publisher of MaxList. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Becky Thomas and Jessica Black from the MaxList team. This week, we're talking about why your self-worth is not your net worth. Money gives you flexibility and choice, both in your career and your life. Money can also cause stress and disrupt relationships. This week's guest expert is Lauren McGoodwin. She says too many people let their net worth determine their self-worth. Lauren says a better approach is to pay attention to our mindset about money, especially when negotiating salaries at work. She and I talk later in the show. You probably know about applicant tracking systems. Often called just an ATS, employers use this software to review and rank resumes and other materials. Becky has found an article that explains how an ATS scores your application. Follow the article's recommendations, and your resume could move to the top of the stack. She tells us more in a moment. Almost everybody gets nervous in a job interview. In fact, one survey found that at least one thing stresses out 92% of Americans in a job interview. What can you do to make yourself less nervous when talking to a hiring manager? That's our question of the week, and it comes from listener Doug Boxford in Anaheim, California. Jessica shares her advice shortly. Let's start, as always, by checking in with the MaxList team. And first up is Becky Thomas, uh, who's out there every week exploring the Internet on your behalf. And she's looking for those tools, books, and websites you can use in your job search and your career. So, Becky, what have all your explorations uncovered for our listeners this week? So we've talked a lot on past episodes about applicant tracking systems, and I felt a bit overwhelmed personally by all the possible challenges that job seekers face when they apply through an ATS. Um, Some systems rank resumes one way, some systems remove text formatting, some systems recognize plurals of keywords and others don't, and it goes on and on. How are we supposed to know what to do when applying through an ATS? Become experts on all 200-plus software systems employers use for applicant screening and tracking? Like, no. That's a big number, 200. Yeah, there's more than 200 different softwares, and they're all slightly different. And so it's like, how are job seekers supposed to figure out what the ATS is looking at? So you know, do you have a short uh, shorthand guide for us? Yeah. So this week's research does help pull down that curtain a little bit, although it only 
tackles one specific ATS software, um, it is one of the most popular software. So this resource is from JobScan, which is a tool that helps you match up your resume text with the text in a job description, which is one of the best ways to make sure you're sort of prepped to submit through an ATS. Um, but this one is a simple guide that outlines key functionalities of Talio, which is a very common ATS, and it's called Talio Four Ways the Most Popular ATS Ranks Your Job Application. So as I mentioned, there's tons of different ATS software options. So why do we care about Talio? It's because it's the most common ATS out there. It's got nearly 20% of the total market share, and most of the big companies are using it. So um, there's actually a list of like all the companies that use Talio, and they're all super recognizable organizations. Um, and as the article says, Talio is one ATS you've probably encountered whether you realize it or not. Um, there are these three specific things that Talio does. Um, if you know them before you apply, you can at least act more strategically when you do apply and have a better chance of staying in the running for the job. So I'll go through those four, um, four things really quickly. So number one is tiered scoring for, quote, knockout questions. So knockout questions are typically pass-fail questions for things that are required for the job. So like for a delivery driver job, the question is, do you have a driver's license? And all the no answers are going to be screened out because you have to have one to do the job. Um, but Talio offers uh, recruiters the option of more than just yes or no answers. So if you encounter a question that has more than two answer bubbles available, like if there's a range, um, you can guess that each of those answers has a score attached to it. So for example, like years of experience, and there are sort of like three or four different bubbles with ranges. Um, that's probably not a sort of yes or no, but it's more of a tiered. They're going to give you more points for more experience, that kind of thing. Um, number two is bonus points for resume keywords. So recruiters can add bonus points to a skill or a qualification that would be a differentiator for a candidate within the ATS. Um, these are probably listed as like nice to have items in the job description. So just keep keep an eye out for those, and if you have them and if you can get them into the text in your application sort of gracefully, you might get a bump in the ATS scoring system. Uh, number three is automatic resume scoring. So one of Talio's core features, and most ATS systems have this as well, is resume scoring. Um, they call it RecRank, R-E-Q, um, but it's basically an algorithm that gives your resume a score based on how well it matches the text in the job description. Um, this is why everybody's always telling you to put keywords from the job description into your resume. So, you know, we talk about it, but this is actually how it works. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then number four was Boolean searches. So Talio and most other ATS have search functionality that's pretty bad on its own. Um, people talk a lot about how you can't use different uh, variations of the words in the job description. You have to use the exact word. Um, but internal users, so like the recruiters that are using Talio as the ATS, um, can use Boolean search queries, meaning you can search for different combinations and exclude certain words using um, and, or, and not. Um, in order for your application to show up in these searches, your text has to match what they're searching. So this just sort of underlines how important it is to try and mirror the language that you see in the job description as closely as you can and hope that recruiters are searching for different combinations that sort of support what you're trying to send them. Um, so that's sort of the summary. And while this article might not be like a simple step-by-step -step guide to a perfect ATS-friendly job application, 
I don't think something like that exists because it's just a complicated thing to begin with. And it is an insightful look at how ATS works behind the scenes. Um, There's screenshots and stuff um, so you can see what Talio looks like from the other side. Um, And you can get a sense of what the hiring manager is doing on their end. Um, And there are a couple of tips in the article that could help you make a difference between getting kicked out of the process and um, actually getting an interview or, you know, getting sort of a callback. So check it out. Um, It's on JobScan, and I'll uh, include the link in the show notes. That's really interesting. Yeah. I I think what you said about the fact that we talk about this a lot, but it's actually really interesting to be able to have almost like a case study of exactly... Exactly how it's being used and how employers are using it and mm-hmm. um, and the functionality of all of that. So that's really cool. And hopefully, um, I feel like that's helpful for, for us just as people who talk about it mm-hmm. to have a little bit of a deeper understanding. And I think that same thing with um, job seekers, being able to just like understand why matching keywords is important and because, you know, when you don't know why it's useful, it's hard to actually move forward with that and and make it part of your your routine. So right. I think that's helpful. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from the right. job seeker side because they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why? Right. So, you know, it's just like the software isn't perfect and it is what it is and you sort of have to do your best to work within that system. Yeah. So it's better to know the system than not to know it. That's right. And I love the fact that this article includes a list of companies that use this particular software. Mm-hmm. So if you are a job seeker who's interested in opportunities at those organizations, and you see that you'll you'll want to, I think, spend even more time studying this mm-hmm. uh, this piece. Yeah, totally. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Becky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've got a suggestion for Becky, she would love to hear from you. She loves exploring the internet, but sometimes she needs a break. <laughs> so. <laughs> Don't we all? That's true. <laughs> so get her out of those nooks and crannies for a week or two, and write her. And we'd love to share your idea on the show. Her address is Becky at maxlist.org. Now let's turn to you, our listeners. And Jessica has been poking around the Maxlist mailbag and she's got an answer to one of your questions. What uh, what's our question this week, Jessica? Yeah, we have a question this week from Doug Boxford from Anaheim, California, and he emailed his question as well. And so I'm gonna read it um, here for you. He Doug says I hate interviewing. I get so nervous and start rambling on and on with my answers. Any tips for how to ease my anxiety during an interview? This is a great question uh, because, Mac, as you said at the beginning of the show, everyone gets nervous in interviews, and uh, it's one of the most common common parts of of adding to fear in the in the interview process is having to be put on the spot and having to have succinct answers and um, and appear very polished and, and all of that stuff while you're also um, scanning your brain for all of the, the possible pieces of information that yeah, you can... Yeah, we, we might include that survey in the show notes yeah, because be it, it broke down particular kinds of anxieties that mm. people... I think it's a list of like a dozen things that people fear in particular about a yeah. job interview. Yeah, but um, I think that it's a very common experience to be very nervous and also to worry that you're rambling on and on. Um, And, you know, everybody wants to put their best foot forward in interviews, so that adds to the stress and the anxiety. So one thing, Doug, that I would say, um, this is one thing that also resonated with me again, is that um, I, I am not 
I'm not keen on uh, public speaking and that sort of thing either. There's a lot of people aren't. A lot of people do get very nervous with public speaking. And I know interviewing isn't. It's more interpersonal. So it's... um, But I think it still is classified as public speaking because you are giving a presentation of sorts of you're presenting yourself in a way. And um, and that's again, like I said before, it's very stressful. Uh, And so one thing that I would recommend is um, is just practice Uh, that honestly, it sounds basic and um, not very helpful, but it really it that's really the best way to get over this fear and the anxiety is to to practice. Um, public speaking doesn't come naturally to everybody, but if you you know use the muscle of public speaking and just getting comfortable with being in these types of situations that give you anxiety, you'll get better and it'll get easier, and you won't. I'm not saying that you won't be anxious about it, but you'll have better, um, you'll be better prepared to be in those environments. And so um, networking events are good ways to practice that. I would also, um, well, I'm going to back up for a second and just say um, another thing that can help is also being very clear with what you want to say. And so um, the preparation that it takes to um, to know what your main points are, being very clear about what you have to offer and um, and the main points that you're trying to make will also help help in that respect. Be give you that preparation and those tools to be able to be in these impromptu situations, um, but then also practicing and being able to be in those situations many times. So. Like I said, networking events um, are great opportunities, very low pressure situations. Um, even though sometimes it feels high pressure, it really isn't. There, you're not in an interview situation and you have a lot of opportunities to be able to practice those conversation points. And you can really use those to hone in on um, what lands well and what maybe you want to polish a little bit more. Um, and then also just have a casual space that you can make those connections and um, be able to have real conversations is always helpful. Um, I would also say if there, if, if you really feel like this is um, a space where more public speaking experience would be really helpful. I think that that often does help. Um, I would recommend finding a, a local group like um, like a Toastmasters or the, I know that there's other opportunities like that, probably different meetups and things like that, that you could um, practice those skills. Um, probably meetups, they have like mock interview type of uh, conversations and things like that where you can go and practice. But um, I am in a local Toastmasters group and I have found a lot of value in that of uh, being able to just get really comfortable both speaking in front of people um, because they are, you know, small groups of your peers, but it's still terrifying even though it's very low pressure. Um, but it gets you every time you do it, it gets a little bit easier. And, um, and Toastmasters is also really great because, um, the feedback that you get is always very positive. It's never, um, there's never moments where there's like, you did that terribly. Don't do that anymore. It's always in the form of here's what you could do better to improve. That was, you know, that was great, but here's what you could do differently to, to keep improving your skills. There's also, um, a focus on getting comfortable with impromptu 
conversations. And so um, in table topics, it's called in uh, Toastmasters, it's called table topics where um, it's not a prepared speech. You don't come in already prepared, but you get to practice uh, responding to a question sort of on the spot. And that has also helped a lot with just being able to be comfortable in that, that those moments of preparing your thoughts after you've been asked a question um, to not just freeze up and, and kind of be like, Oh, I don't know, but being able to use some, uh, get some, some tools to be able to, um, to ponder that question while you still are appearing very confident and that you are not losing any, any energy in that, in that relationship. So um, I would say those two things would be really great opportunities to practice. Again, just know your key points um, of what you're trying to convey. Um, like we've talked about before, kind of writing, taking the time to write down, um, even kind of using, doing a, a reverse ATS system <laughs> where you're you're utilizing, you're kind of analyzing the job description and pulling out some of those key words and 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 um, bringing them into what you've used in your experience to be able to to match the skills that you want to convey um, so that you're not kind of on the spot trying to make up a an answer. You already know what you're trying to convey. Uh, one more thing before I want to um, invite Mac and Becky's ex- uh, expertise is... Um, be okay with silence and also be okay with quote unquote failing. So not every job interview is going to land to um, end up being a, a job offer. And so that doesn't mean that you're a failure. That just means that it wasn't the right fit and that's, that's okay. And job interviews are also, we've talked about this before, an opportunity for you to, um, to find out if the job is right for you as well. And so, um, knowing, knowing what you're trying to convey, being confident in, in what you, what you have to offer, um, and being okay with silence and just practicing a lot is, uh, what I would recommend and good luck. I hope that's helpful. What do you guys have to have to say? No, I think all of that is really good advice. Um, the only thing I would add is Doug mentioned that he starts rambling on and on with his answers. So I think that the um, sort of thinking through what common questions might be and right. practicing the specific answers that you're going to give. That's a great suggestion. And think about the timing. And like you're probably going to have to practice that answer several times if you start to ramble, figure out what you need to cut, what you, you know, write down what you want to avoid saying, and just like remember the three key points that you want to give in yep. that specific answer and don't go beyond that. That's right. I think that'll help him a lot just to feel confident and prepared and not sort of trying to figure out on the spot what he needs to say. And, oh, here's another thing that just popped into my head. And I think that that's sort of where the rambling comes in. Absolutely. So. And I think those are, that's that's excellent advice. That's yeah. also kind of why I mentioned the being okay with silence is that I think people ramble because they're afraid. Filling the silence. They're afraid yeah. of just sitting in silence. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like So I think making your points, knowing what, you're, what points you're going to make, making those, mm-hmm. and then stopping your conversation. And if yeah. the, the interviewer doesn't, you know, jump in right away, that's okay. They may also just be thinking about how to respond. Yeah. Silence is okay. Yeah. So I think that that's a really good point of just mm-hmm. um, knowing your 
knowing your key points and sticking with them. That's yeah. a good reiteration. Yeah, Thank just you. the practicing and writing things down helps me a lot. Same. Yeah. yeah. You know there are, are three to five questions that are going to be asked in every interview. Why do you want this job? Yeah. What can you do for us? Uh, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Mm-hmm. So develop your material, practice it, and, and do it with a, a friend, a colleague. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who suggested... Say it out loud to yourself, to exactly. the mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I, I did exactly that. I had a friend who was going out for an interview out of state, and he said, well, are, how are you practicing on Saturday? I didn't know anyone. He said, mm-hmm. well, just go through the questions and that's w- right. looking at the mirror. And yeah. it, mm-hmm. it's very effective. That's great. And oh, I, that's... I didn't know you were going with that there with that. Sorry, I jumped yeah, in. No, that's okay. <laughs> and I, your point about silence is, is a good one. I mean, Becky, you're a former reporter, and I work in public relations. You worked in the media. We both know that one way to get people to talk is to ask them an open-ended question and then just say nothing. Mm-hmm. People are uncomfortable with silence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to get someone to go on the record... Uh, for a news story, yeah. that's a people rush to fill that silence mm-hmm. with something. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it's okay to not fill it. So yeah, mm-hmm. just reiterating, know what you're trying to say, and don't just practice saying those things, and uh, and stop when stop when you need to. Yeah, good. Well, excellent advice, and thank you, Doug, for that question. And thank you, Jessica and Becky. If you've got a question for Jessica, uh, send her an email. Her address is jessica at maxlist.org. You can also send an old-fashioned snail mail. We do have a mailbag, and we'd love to add your letter to it. Or you can call the listener line. That's area code 716-JOBTALK. Or post your question on the Maxlist Facebook group. Now, if we use your question on the show, we'll send you a copy of Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. And we'll be back in a moment. When we return, I'll talk with this week's guest expert. It's Lauren McGoodwin, and she's going to talk with me about why your self-worth is not your net worth. Even when you love your job, you still want to get paid well for what you do. But most candidates and managers say little about salary during a job interview. Instead, both parties perform a dance. Each side probes the other for information, and nobody typically puts all the cards on the table. This not only frustrates job seekers, it can lead to a lower salary that affects your future earnings for years to come. But it doesn't have to be this way. I've created a new guide, how to talk about money in an interview. In it, I explain how to know what a job pays before you meet a hiring manager. And I show you how to talk to an employer about money benefits, and office culture. Plus, I give you an answer to one of the hardest questions of all. What are your salary expectations? And that will help you negotiate better pay. To get your copy of How to Talk About Money in an Interview, visit maxlist.org slash money talk. Again, that's maxlist.org slash money talk. And now let's get back to the show. Now let's turn to this week's guest expert, Lauren McGoodwin. Lauren McGoodwin is the founder and CEO of Career Contessa. It's a career site for women. Previously, Lauren was a tech recruiter at Hulu, and she wrote her master's thesis on millennial women and career resources. Career Contessa launched in 2013, and it now helps more than 1 million people with career development every year. She joins us today from Los Angeles, California. 
Lauren, thanks for being on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Now, our topic this week is uh, why your net worth isn't your self-worth. And mm-hmm. we want to talk about the mindset behind that, as well as get to salary questions, um, because that's a big part of both money and, and mindset. Let's start, Lauren, by talking about people's relationship with money. Why is it important for listeners to reflect on that in their career and when they're doing a job search? Yeah, I mean, money is a it's a tricky relationship. It's the the thing that is probably what keeps the wheels turning in your life, meaning paying for rent, you know, making sure there's food in your refrigerator, um, having a life, etc. Um, and it's also how our employers showcase their appreciation for us. They compensate us for our work. Um, but it's a really tricky relationship because no one's really talking about it. So this thing that's probably at the forefront of your mind on somewhat of a regular basis basis is also off limits when it comes to conversations and um, especially at work. Many people are, when they're given their offer, they're even told, hey, you can't tell anybody at the office how much you make or they want you to sign some sort of confidentiality form. And so I, I think that the, the relationship between um, money for a lot of people is it's like always present and yet never verbalized. And it has a big effect, doesn't it, that relationship on what kind of salaries we negotiate, the, uh, the raises we ask for, and, and other changes that we seek in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there is a relationship for many people where their self-worth and their net worth ride on the same roller coaster ride. So if they're making a lot, they might feel like they've got some sort of higher status. If they're not making enough, maybe they need to compensate in other ways because they now feel inadequate. So it's it's a tricky, it's definitely tricky for sure. Now on your blog, you write about how there's a mindset about money that affects the the things that you were just describing. Tell us more about that mindset and, and why it matters. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So if your mindset is that you're good enough when your net worth is high enough, that's a losing game, right? And um, I think it's really important that people separate those because even when you go in for a negotiation, you're really negotiating on the market value. What's the market value of your skills? What are you able to bring to the table and not your personality or not how much your employer likes you? And so um when you have that mindset of, you know, my, my net worth, it represents my self-worth, or if, as long as I'm making a high salary, then I'm valued here, then, you know, you're really linking the feelings of salary and success. And that might be, you know, that, that ends up being hardwired in you. And, and it can be a losing game to get back to the, that whole self-acceptance thing. And does that also affect your effectiveness as a negotiator? For, for example, Lauren, if you think that you deserve a certain figure because uh, it's an important part of your identity, does that make it harder perhaps for you to to negotiate that, uh, that number with your boss? I think so. Um, I I think negotiations are hard no matter what, and we're not trying to complicate it. Um, And I think negotiations work best when you stick to the facts. Um, And so when you start to throw in, you know, feelings of self-acceptance and your worth and, and, feel like it's very much personal to you, I think, yes, it, de- it definitely complicates it. So how can people, our, our listeners, shift that mindset? What, what suggestions do you have for them? 
Yeah. So one of the things that they can do is find examples in their life that are not related to money that make them feel good about themselves. Um, Maybe you want to make sure to share those moments with your friends and family or even write them down because the goal there is to start associating your self-worth with feelings and experiences that deserve it and are not related to money. Um, you know, maybe once you identify a theme and the activities that support your new mindset, you can create more evidence of those activities. So for example, if volunteering your time helps you shift your mindset, maybe you want to seek out more volunteer uh, activities, or um, maybe you want to um, talk to your friends and family about your volunteer activities and, and include them in it. Um, the other thing that you can do is make sure, you know, they, they say your vibe or your tribe <laughs> attracts your vibe or... <laughs> I've totally messed that metaphor up now, but um, you want to spend time with people whose views on money are different and support your new mindset. So, so ditch that friend who's always talking about how much money she makes or flaunts her newest online order, you know, because she makes so much money because that is going, and I, women especially, um, can get into that comparison game more than men. And so for women, especially, I think it's important for them to make sure that they are hanging out with people who um, are making them feel good about what their money mindset or, you know, self-worth mindset is. Um, And then you can create a healthy money mantra um, that you, you know, say every day or you post to your refrigerator. Um, I have one and it says that my self-worth does not equal my net worth. And that's really important that I keep that in mind because if I have a bad day and we lose money or we don't make any money as an entrepreneur, I can't let that affect my self-worth because that having being affected like that might affect my decisions as a manager or, um, you know, future decisions in terms of business that I might make. Earlier, you said that it's important when thinking about your net worth to understand what our market value is. Can can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. I, I think what's happened with um, negotiation tips is a lot of people say, ask for your worth. And that gets misconstrued. And again, thinking about your personal worth, but really, what is the market value of your skills? What what is the value, the monetary value of what your skills are able to bring to your workplace that help your the business goals of your company. So whether that's um, you are the, an email marketing manager and your company's main revenue stream is by selling things via email, you can start to understand, okay, the market value of my skill is that I help sell products through email for this company. The company makes this much in revenue. Here's what we spend here. So you can start to kind of put a value on, okay, this skill is probably pretty valuable to them. Even when I was an admin assistant, you know, I recognized that the market value of my skills, maybe I wasn't a revenue generating um, position there. But as if you've ever had an admin assistant or been an admin assistant, you know that that whole office runs because the admin assistant keeps it organized. And I was able to you know, filter all the phone calls and emails to the right people so that they could then um, move forward. And I was working for a university. So it was like enrolling in school and paying tuition and things like that. Um, and so that's what I mean by the market value of your skills. What is somebody willing to pay for that skill set to come to their company? And there's a variety of ways that you can use or, or find that out either through online tools or talking to real people. But at the end of the day, figuring out what companies are willing to pay for those skill sets is essentially they set the market value. And what are the benefits to listeners of understanding what their market value is? How might that help them either in a job search or negotiation for an offer or 
if they're in a, a position right now and they're up for, say, a promotion and a raise? Um, absolutely. I, I think that understanding what your market value is, is and maybe how to be compensated for that will really help you go into that negotiation or that job offer and say, this is what I'm this is the range I would like to be compensated for and to be confident when you ask. I, I think a, a big piece of nego- negotiating a salary is being confident in the asks that you make. Um, and so when you can say, I've done research um, via these online methods, I've talked to real people. Um, and if you're interviewing, maybe you even have a couple different offers and you can come up with this range that's very much justified and not just something you've picked out of thin air. When we started the conversation, you talked about how people are uncomfortable talking about money in the workplace, particularly with peers about uh, their salaries. And I know you're a big fan of salary transparency. Tell us more about that, Lauren. Mm-hmm. So a really good place to, to go with salary transparency is start by understanding what are the best practices of your employer? How are they coming up with those numbers? Um, so now that we know what sal- salary transparency is, I'll, I'll kind of talk about why I think this is actually a really great thing for the workforce. Um, for, for starters, transparency can bring equality to the workplace. Um, there is still a lot of inequality among wage between men and women, mothers and fathers. And um, really part of why that's happened is because no one's talked about money. And so they've been able to pay people uh, une- you know, unequal uh, for, the same, for the same job and nobody's said anything about it. The other reason why I think salary transparency is so important to the workplace is that it can create a place of trust. And when you feel like your employer is paying you fairly and you understand how they're coming up with that number, your employees are going to be less likely to feel like you're paying, you're hiding something from them or maybe paying them unfairly. And that means they're not going to look for a new job. And that means you're not going to lose an employee and have to pay, you know, I think it's like 1.5 times their salary to replace them. And so salary transparency actually has a lot of perks that employers, I think, think don't exist for them, which is why they don't want it. Um, but if they do it the right way, um, I, I think it can be really successful. And the other thing about transparency is this is transparency in general is something the population is starting to really embrace and expect. And so my view on salary transparency also is that companies who don't jump on board with salary transparency in some way, shape or form are going to be playing catch up in the future. So what's your best advice, Lauren, for listeners who are either looking for work or are in a job now and they're getting ready for perhaps an annual review or uh, to chase a promotion? How can they apply these principles that you've described about salary transparency to their next job search or the next conversation about moving up? Absolutely. So the first thing I would do is do a little online research. At Career Contessa, we have a tool called The Salary Project. It's an anonymous salary database that you can go on for free and check out what people are making in your same city, your same job function, your same uh, age, location. There's a whole bunch of data on there. So you can first use that to kind of give you an idea of like, Okay, am I underpaid? Am I paid fairly? But don't stop there. Um, and also, people always want to stop there because going on the internet and not having to talk to anybody and feel uncomfortable is always the easiest thing. But what I would encourage you to do is 
use that to kind of come up with maybe an idea or a range. So let's say you, you use a tool and, and Glassdoor and LinkedIn also have some great salary tools as well. Let's say you go on those tools and you find out, okay, I'm making $40,000 a year, but it looks like most of these people here are making 52000 So I definitely need to do a little bit more research. The next tip I would tell you to do is go talk to three women and three men. The reason why you want to talk to men and women, especially if you're a woman, is because there is a wage gap. Um, on average, women make about 20% less than men. So if you talk to men and women, you can make sure that whatever salary range you come up with, it's it's accounting for that wage gap. Um, when you talk to them, and, and people have different opinions about this, I think most people will be helpful as long as they don't feel like you're trying to be nosy. So you know, pick someone in the company who's maybe in the same department or the same role, or even pick someone who's a mentor who's who's higher up in, in the role than you, and say, um, you know, this is I, I've been doing a lot of research on my salary. I am coming up on my one year review, and I, I want to make sure that I'm I'm being responsible what, about what I ask for. Um, here's the range that I've come up with. Do you think this is appropriate? That's what you might say to your mentor. Someone who's in the same department, you might say, I'd really appreciate if you would share your range with me in order to help me um, make sure that this range that I have isn't completely, you know, inaccurate. So I think when you give them some context and doesn't just sound like you're going around the office saying, how much do you make? That's really important. Also recognize that people are going to be kind of uncomfortable with that. And so they might not share. And when they don't want to share, you have to say, that's totally cool. Thank you so much. Or you have to be comfortable with if you if they share their salary with you, you might have to share yours with them. So just be ready for those uh, potentially to come up in the conversation. But the point being is that you're going to use online tools and real people to come up with a range. And then the next thing, number three that you want to do is really look back on the last year or you know, maybe the last job and write out what are you, what have been your big accomplishments? What have you done at this company um, that's going to make them want to give you a raise? So maybe you've worked on some really great projects that have yielded some amazing results. Um, maybe like, again, when I was an admin assistant, I was able to showcase that I had, you know, made some processes more efficient. So whatever it is, make sure that when they say, okay, you're asking for a $10,000 raise, how do you come up with this number? Not only can you tell them that and and when they say, okay, well, that might be the number, but what have you done for us? Or what do you plan on doing? So think back about what you've accomplished and your future in the company. Um, We also have a really great script on Career Contessa for asking for a raise under download. So if people are looking for word by word for word script, they can also check it out there. Good. It's terrific advice. And I, the principles that you just described while you were, it was about asking for a a raise. I could also see you applying those to negotiation to uh, for a job offer as well. Absolutely. Yeah. They work in both ways. And what I have found about negotiation, whether it's within the same job or for a new job, the more you negotiate, the more comfortable you get with it. Um, so the other thing is practice this, say it out loud, practice with a friend, get comfortable. Um, the first time you say that your negotiation script or, you know, um, that, that you've decided you want to go with <laughs> the first time you say it out loud should not be with your boss, like practice it beforehand. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Lauren. Now tell us what's coming up next for you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the next thing we have coming up is a productivity powerhouse online course. One of the things that we've heard from our users and 
it, it makes sense. You know, we're all connected to our devices. And so work starts to feel like it's 24 seven. And while we're able to do work all the time, we're not as productive as we'd like to be. So we've created a new online course and people can sign up for the waitlist to get on that. Um, if you're on the waitlist, you always get some special goodies when it launches and it's called the productivity powerhouse. Um, and then we always are adding new downloadable resources like the salary script that I just mentioned to our site. If you go to careercontested.com under downloads, you'll find all of those um, great free tools. Great. We'll be sure to include links to your productivity course uh, and careercontested.com in the show notes. Lauren, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. We're back in the Maxless studio with uh, Becky and Jessica. So what were your reactions to my conversation with Lauren? Uh, I really liked her focus on sort of disconnecting your salary from the way you think about your success. Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, we talk about like knowing your worth and asking for what you're worth. And so when you don't get the money you ask for, it's like, am I worth less now? <laughs> you know, um, I think it's really healthy to separate your own personal sense of yourself with your paycheck. Absolutely. Um, That's a good point. And also just, you know, it helps you get the emotion out of salary negotiations and just being like, here's my market value. Here's, here's what I've been able to do for you. Here's, you know, all of these facts and here's what I'm asking for. So it's not about, um, whether or not I'm deserving. It's about, here's what my market value is for the skills that I have to offer. Yeah, definitely. So that puts you in a really powerful position, I think. Yeah. And I, um, I really liked her point about how important salary transparency is to be able to get some of those um, data points of what your self, what your not your self worth, but your net worth mm-hmm. is. Um, because I agree with you that separating your salary from your confidence about your your job and your like abilities are mm-hmm. really important. But you don't always know what your what your net worth is. Um, sometimes it can be really depending on what kind of job you have. Sometimes it's very clear, but other times it's a little bit more, especially we've talked about this with um, companies that have, you know, clever and fun and, and innovative job titles. Mm-hmm. There's not a way to look up what your what the market value is of that. So you can do some digging of, you know, putting in like the different types of things that you do in your job to figure out what the equivalent would be, but you still, it's, it makes it a little bit harder to get a, an accurate data point. But I really liked um, her focus on talking to people that are in those same positions and her focus on talking to men and women to get that. That, that was a great point. I mm-hmm. loved that. Um, and just being able to, and you know, her, her reiteration about, you know, women often being paid uh, a significant amount less, um, which is a reality that we're still facing mm-hmm. um, that I think, you know, the salary transparency will really help. And I liked, again, I liked her focus on um, when you're having those conversations and and trying to develop that transparency with your coworkers and with the people in those, um, in your same job titles, 
using having more context, giving context about why you're asking those questions rather than just um, asking out of the blue or kind of um, sounding like you're digging for information with, yeah. but giving that context of, you know, I'm just trying to make sure that I am on the right, the right track of this um, it is really helpful because people will be more likely to want to help you um, in that context rather than they'll be more wanting, willing or um, trying to be more private and um, and that sort of thing if they think you're just asking out of curiosity or envy or whatever. Um, and so I think that that's a really good point to just kind of um, utilize it in the way that I'm I'm trying to make sure that I'm being paid at the same at the level that I should be being paid and that I'm on the right track of what I'm asking for. Um, and so I think that that she gave really great actionable points about all of that, and I, I really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've had other guests talk about the importance of doing research before having a salary negotiation. Oh, yeah, huge. She's the first, though, that I've heard talk about the importance of employers doing the same kind of research to set the ranges for the positions that uh, they're either hiring or, or staffing. Yeah. And it, it is, uh, there are two parties in a negotiation. And, Absolutely. And sometimes uh, I talk to other employers and people Many hiring managers don't put in the effort that we expect candidates do, to put in to research and in setting those numbers. And mm-hmm. so when she's talking about a salary transparency culture, I like her emphasis on both parties doing that kind of legwork. Well, that's – I mean, honestly, I think that that's where the – equal pay comes into play. Like that's how we'll be able to achieve that if is if it is um, both, you know, job seekers advocating for that, but also employers making sure that there there is some sort of um, consistency in this the the salaries that that are yeah. given for the job, not for the person who's being hired for the job. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know Becky and I have talked about that a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Passion points. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, agreed, because I, changing the law isn't enough. It's illegal to discriminate against yeah. someone on salary based on gender. But we have to change the culture, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, terrific. Well, thank you both, and thank you, Lauren, for joining us this week, and you, our listeners, for downloading today's episode of Find Your Dream Job. Now, don't forget to check out the 2018 edition of the Top Career Podcast Guide you'll discover 78 podcasts that can help you get hired and have a great career. Get your free copy today. Go to topcareerpodcastguide.com. Again, that's topcareerpodcastguide.com. If you're looking for more information about salaries and to get the salary you deserve, check out our new resource. It'll help you research and prepare for important conversations when you get that job offer or you're up for that promotion. Download our resource, How to Talk About Money, in an interview today. Visit maxlist.org slash moneytalk to get your copy. Again, that's maxlist.org slash moneytalk. And join us next Wednesday. Our special guest will be Anna-Lee Olalani, founder of AIR, a social enterprise created to give young women the skills they need to build a career. She and I will talk about how to handle job search rejection. Until next time, thanks for letting us help you find your dream job.